All right, Ecclesiastes 7. If you found that, won't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I want to take you down to verse 13 is where we'll start today. We'll read from verse 13 all the way down to verse 18. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin in verse 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. He's done that so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous. Do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of your Son, Jesus, based on the authority of your word, God, speak to your people, sons and daughters of God, purchased by the blood of Jesus. By your word, Lord. I pray that you would minister to the souls of your people. That you would encourage us to walk with great confidence. Lord, I pray that you would call those that are without Christ, that are in this world separated from you, call them to faith in Jesus. So help us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Not too long ago, a friend of mine wrote a devotional book. He is a professor at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He put together a devotional book called Always in the Hands of God. I would just commend that to you if you're looking for a good devotion. Always in the Hands of God. That little book has a daily reading of Jonathan Edwards' writings. Jonathan Edwards was one of the most famous preachers that America ever produced in the 18th century. He was a president at Princeton, missionary to the American Indians. Jonathan Edwards was a man who suffered greatly in the world and was used greatly by the Lord. I think that's important for us, especially here in the 21st century. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you are someone that trusts what the Bible says, There is a good chance in this century, 21st century, that followers of Jesus, believers in the Bible, will suffer greatly in the world. But even still, we not only want to suffer greatly in the world, we want to to be used greatly by the Lord. We want to walk trusting that our our lives are in God's hands. 
your life is in God's hands. You believe that? I, I want you. I want you to believe that. I want you to walk with confidence. I, I want you to live with joy. I want you to wake up in the morning with, with, with hope that regardless of what happens today, that God loves you in Christ and He's going to sustain you. Because we live, you, you know this, we live in a fallen world. And if you're not careful, the voices that you hear almost, almost daily, they start stripping that joy from you. I mean, it can sometimes feel like we live in, an, in some sort of alter universe. As, as people that believe the Bible, we read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see God's good creation, we see God's image uh, shown to us in His creation of man as man and woman, two separate and equal genders, both of them reflect the image of God. We see that from Genesis 1, we, we, we cherish that. Then as Christians, we hear things like the Equality Act. Go on through the House and go to the Senate. I won't go into it here. But, but that is one of those things that will start chipping away. And so for professing Christians, for those that believe the Bible, those that claim Jesus as Lord, it, it, it's going to be port, important that we are strengthened in our faith and, and resolute in our doctrine. It's going to be important that you and I, that we, that we, that we trust like never before that we are always in God's hands. I think the preacher, Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, I think he helps us with that in chapter 7. You take chapter 7, you start reading in verse 1, and you'll find that there are 12 uh, proverbs from verse 1 to 12. They're a proverb. It's a, a saying of truth. It's an aphorism. It's like a bumper sticker theology. It's something that you can sort of count on. And then he gets to verse 13. And verse 13 seems to pause in there in verse 13. And he turns our attention to viewing the world. To look at how the world works. And, and more importantly how you and I actually fit into this time in history. It's no accident that you were born when you were born at this time in history to live through all that we're living through. So what I hope today, I, I hope today that this passage just sort of washes over your soul. I hope that it uh, refreshes your spirit. I hope that this passage will help you rejoice in our good and sovereign God. Because your life is safe in the hands of God. So I want this to be a, I want this to be a help to you. I want this uh, to help you this week that you might be joyful and have confidence in our good God. And as we do that, there are, there are four things I want to point out in this passage. I, I did have five of them, but I'm going to try to um, shorten it up a bit. You know, I preached for Southern Seminary this week. Uh, they're, they're still having chapel virtually. <clears throat> and so I had to preach to a camera, and we'll send it to them. But before I did, they said, you got 20 minutes. 
Yeah, so I had to take a sermon and shrink it down. I was talking like I had 12 cups of coffee. There's no telling what I said. So what I want to do is just take, uh, just look at this passage. I want to show you four things uh, that I see in this passage that we, knew, that we need to do more of in life. Let's start, let's start off with something good. Here's the first one. Number one, you, you need to enjoy life more. There's not a person in here that doesn't need to start enjoying some of what God has given you more. There's not a person in here right now that has not received hundreds, maybe thousands of blessings, miniature blessings, large blessings, even today, that you've not recognized that you need to actually enjoy more. Let me show you where I get that. It's right there in verse 14. Look at the very first phrase in verse 14. The preacher says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. Now, lest you think that I've dropped off uh, into some Joel Osteen prosperity gospel... Y'all, I, y'all, so I know that you're thinking that. I want you to hear the literal translation of that passage. The literal translation goes like this. In the day of good, that prosperity is the word tov, good. In the day of good, the preacher says, be in that good. When you receive good, be in it. God has given us so many things, so many gifts. God has given you so many gifts to enjoy. And if you, if you run past those times, if you squander those times, if you waste those times, then those things are gone. Look, this is one of the, one of the, one of the common graces that God has given us <clears throat> is the ability to take pictures and capture a moment. What, what, this is why we take pictures. To, to hold on to pictures of our children when they were small and good and did what we asked them to do. We can look back at these happy times. We look back at, the, at your wedding. You see these wonderful moments. And so God, that's what He does constantly. Every moment, he, He's given us moments of happiness and laughter, of, of success. Maybe you have a moment of success or Someone shows affection or a word of encouragement or something goes well at a, at a, at a job. Or, or if you have a, a grandchild, the smile of a grandchild. If you like coffee, the, the taste of a piping hot, good cup of coffee. The sound of a well-tuned American V8. <laughs> All of us have things that we like, right, that God gives. And, and the preacher says... You, you've only got so long to live. And, and on this earth, this planet, God has given us common grace. That is to say, He's sent the rain and the sunshine on the just and the unjust. He's given you specific blessings as a reminder of His goodness. And every gift, every one of those gifts, small ones and big ones alike, every one of those gifts is a voice that has joined a choir that is singing one song that says, Our God is good. And His goodness takes us somewhere. It's going somewhere. It has an ultimate destiny. Our good God shows the height of His goodness at the cross of Jesus where sinners are saved. I I know that 
I know that things are bad all over. I hear it. I see it. There's plenty of bad to point to. But there's some things God has given you. You actually need to enjoy the life God has given you a little more. Because your life is safe in the hands of God. Enjoy this life a little, little more. Let me give you something else to consider right there in verse 14. Number two, here's the second point. Not only do you need to enjoy life a little more, number two, you need to be still a little more. Be still. Here's what I mean. You'll find it right there in verse 14. Let's read the whole verse and see what the preacher says in verse 14. In the day of prosperity, in the day of good, be in the good. Okay, but every day is not good. What about the hard days? In the day of adversity, look at it. In the day of adversity, or the translation is in the day of evil, in the day when things are bad, consider, see, sit and observe, sit and look, sit and think. And what are you thinking? <clears throat> that God has made one as well as the other. That He's given you the good times and the great things and the wonderful, smiling, happy, beautiful times. And also allow these terrible, painful. Why did he do that? Well, verse 14 tells us. Keep looking at it. Why did he do that? So that man might not find out anything. I, honestly, <clears throat> if I were you, I would circle that verse. Oh, this, this passage, chapter 7, has been very helpful to me personally this week, just for my own sanctification, growth in the Lord. Uh, but really, that verse right there, verse 14 is a, is a clear and beautiful description of the ongoing ups and downs of life. That there are times when things are really good and we thank God for them. We say, praise God for the goodness. We, we see that. We enjoy it. And there are times when you drop into this valley you think doesn't have a bottom. And the preacher says... God's there too. God designed that too. And He's done that for a reason. To remind us that our God is good, that He's in control, that we can, we can trust Him. That God is working through the really fun and happy times and the really terrible times. But look, now I want to I push on this a little further. Let's keep looking at this verse. Let's, let's press and get what we can out of this little verse right here. <clears throat> I want you to use verse 14. It's going to expand your vision of God, who God is, how He works, why He does what He does. In, in, the, in, in the bad and in the hurtful, in the hard. God knows some of you have been through some really tragic times. In the, in the tragic times, here's what the preacher says, verse 14. Look at it. Consider. I want you to see God, see the bigness of God. In fact, back up one verse, verse 13, <clears throat> he says the exact same thing in verse 13. The preacher says, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what God has made crooked? Who do you think you are? You think you're going to fix what God has made crooked? Some of you need to hear this right here. You can't fix it. What is the issue? The person, get, get them in your mind, whatever it is. A lot of you fixers out there, get, get that in your mind. 
I mean, this is the Christian impulse, right? We see a problem, we want to go help and fix. It's a good and right Christian impulse, but we need to remember. What, what is the bad job, a wayward child, a friend that has gone off the rails somewhere? Maybe it's a hateful parent. Get whatever issue that seems unsolvable in your mind. <clears throat> this text does not say you need to run in there and fix that situation. That's not what this text says. This text says you are an observer to, to consider. When in the day of good, in the day of good, be in the good, enjoy that, thank God for that good. And in the day of evil, in the day of hurt, in the day of pain, consider, think, God. You are not responsible. You are not responsible. God is responsible. You are not responsible for saving a person, for fixing a person, for salvaging a situation. And honestly, if you're not careful, you're going you're gonna to drive yourself crazy trying to fix a problem. Laying awake at night, worrying about it, wringing your hands, thinking about what you can do. It, it's, it's God it's God that does the good things, verse 14, and we end the good. It's God, who's in, it's God who's in control of the hard things and the painful things. And verse 14 tells us why, right, at the very end. Why does he do that? So that you can't find out what's in the future. So that you are reminded that you are not God. God is God. And this God that is God is a good God that, that, that reigns over everything. This is, a reminder, <clears throat> this is a reminder that you are not the master of your own destiny. That this good and sovereign God governs all of creation, that He arranges the times and the seasons, that He raises up kings, that He brings down kings, that He is working. If you're a Christian, this is what you can claim, Romans 8.28. Romans, if I were going to get a tattoo, that's what I would get. If you do, make sure you spell it right. What is Romans? Romans tells us that God is working all things together for good for those that love God and are called according to His purposes. And by the way, I wasn't advocating for you to get a tattoo. But being still, I've said to be still, being still doesn't mean you not doing anything. Be careful how you take that. Being still doesn't mean doing nothing. What can you do? Well, there are a couple of things. One, you can actively, I'm asking you to actively trust God. To actively, you may even have to write it down somewhere. You might have to say to the Lord, Lord, I don't understand any of this. I don't know why this is happening. It doesn't feel right, but I trust you. Actively, even saying it in your prayers, actively trusting God. I, th I think there's something else you can do when you're considering. You need to be genuinely praying. I mean, taking the situation before the Lord, pleading with Him to do something, calling out to the Lord. If, you, if, you, if your mind wanders when you pray, write it down. Write down. Ask God to work here. Genuinely take this to the Lord. Genuinely praying. I think we should be sincerely worshiping. One of the great gifts that God has given us is the Lord's Day. He has set this 
day aside. Initially, it was the Sabbath day as a day of rest. At the resurrection of Jesus, it became the Lord's Day, Sunday, the day we celebrate new life. That's why we go to church on a Sunday. And it's the day where the church gathers together to worship. I think you should be, I think you should be sincerely worshiping. What I mean is when it's time to sing, to sing. When it's time to open the Bible, open and read and not be distracted and stay there. What does God need to minister to your heart? I think that, that, that Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, Friday, when we live in this world that's so difficult that we, we end up patiently and, and even joyfully. Can you, can you do this? Patiently and joyfully suffer honoring the name of Jesus. To stay in the struggle and do it with this thought of you're doing this to honor the name of Jesus. And then slowly, <clears throat> this is what's going to happen if you'll do those things. Slowly over time, you'll be growing in confidence in the goodness of God in your life. Why? Because you are safe in the hands of God. So we need to enjoy life a little more. <clears throat> we need to be still a little more. I'm going to give you a third thing we need to do a little more. Number three, you need to reject karma a little more. Karma. What I mean is here, uh, we've got sort of a baptized, Americanized version of karma that if I'll do something uh, good, that maybe one day somebody will do something good for me, or if something terrible happens to me, I might say something like this, well, uh, that's going to come back on that person. That, that's the, the kind of, that's karma, that there's some balance in the universe that everything kind of works out. And that is not what the Bible teaches. Let, let me show where I get this now. Now, remember who's writing this. It's the man named Solomon. He was the king in Israel. At this point in his life, he is an old man, which is a reminder, if you are young, you need some old people in your life. Line up for Danny afterwards. We need some, you need somebody older in your life. Balancing that out a little bit. Listen to what the preacher says here in verse 15. Read, read it with me, verse 15. The preacher says, In my vain life, now, only an old man can talk like that. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. There is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. You know what the preacher says? You think life ought to be fair? Life is not fair. We, we think it should be fair. But if you walk around thinking that life should be fair, you're going to drive yourself insane. Now, I said to reject karma because that seems, I mean, even Christian people sort of get this idea. Um, this is sort of what most people believe, that if you'll do something kind, if somebody uh, has a flat tire on the side of the road, and you stop to help them out with a flat tire, that maybe one day when your car breaks down, somebody will stop and help you out. Or if something terrible happens to you, you know what? That person that did that, they're going to get theirs. And the preacher says, that's terrible theology. Some of you have been alive long enough to know this. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes nice people die young. Sometimes rotten people get success. Sometimes mean people get the job promotion. Sometimes hateful people are thought well of. And the worst thing we can do is to hold on to these little 
little chirpy cliches that, that sound good, but are, they're really nothing more than baptized karma. So, something like this. <clears throat> what goes around comes around. Or work hard, good things will happen. Early bird gets the worm. Good things come to those who wait. You live long enough, you find out that sometimes you wait all day and all night and nothing comes. Sometimes you got up early to get there and the worm was gone. Sometimes you, you work hard and nothing happens. You get mistreated at the job. And sometimes if it's what goes around comes around, it keeps coming around on your head. And the preacher says, you f- live, live long enough and you find out that none of that is true. This, be careful in this mindset. What happens is, if you have this mindset, when something tragic happens in your life, if you think things ought to be fair, if something tragic happens in your life, your first question is going to be, what did I do to deserve this? And if you're asking that question, at the core, at the core of that question is a heart that believes, I've been a pretty good person, I deserve better. If you think that, it's a sign we've forgotten ourselves. We've forgotten what we actually deserve. We've forgotten that we are wretched sinners in the sight of a holy and perfect God. That what we actually deserve is for God to send us right to hell. Yet, the gospel, yet God in His grace has loved us, He's called us, He saves us on the merits of Jesus' life and death on the cross. That any sinner that believes that, grace comes and saves. Look, we... We don't do good and right things in the hopes that maybe somebody will will do something for us one day. If I'm helpful to someone, maybe somebody one day when I'm in trouble will help me. We don't do good and right things hoping that someone maybe someday will do good and right for us. We do good and right things because someone has already done something radically, unbelievably good for us at the cross. That's why we do the things we do. We operate from grace. I I hate the terminology paying it forward. We don't pay anything forward. Why? Because everything has already been paid and finished at the cross of Jesus. It's grace. The gospel is grace. And that word grace launches me right into my, let's go to the fourth point. Right into my fourth point, number four. All these things you need, let's wrap it up, number four. I promise this will be the last one. You need to study grace more. Grace. You're never going to think too much about the grace of God. You're never going to find the bottom of God's grace to you. If you are a Christian, you you need to keep driving and diving deep into uh, the religion of Christianity into grace. Christianity, 
is grace. It is God giving something to sinners, something that they do not deserve. Love of the unlovable, it's grace. And we, we must continue studying grace. Now, I'm going to take you to a long passage. Verse 16, 17, and 18. We'll just take verse 16 and 17 first. <clears throat> and this passage is, is easily misunderstood when you read it for the first time. But for our purposes, in verse 16 and 17, there are two things that lead to destruction. One is in verse 16, and one is in verse 17. Now, when I read that, you're going to see verse 16 ends in destruction, verse 17 ends in destruction. Let me read them to you, and let's just sort of walk through and see what the preacher says. Verse 16. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? So overly righteous and too much wisdom, destruction. Verse 17. Other side of the coin. Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? So... Wickedness and foolishness equals death. You got destruction in verse 16, death in verse 17. You've got two different words. I'm going to give you, it's going to make you feel smart when we talk about these words. The first word is legalism. Verse 16, legalism is trying to, you go right, if I'm just do these things right, and you ought to be obeying the law, and if you want to be good, this is how you do it. Legalism. The other word is antinomianism. Let's go back to it. Anti, and, you know how to spell that? A-N-T-I dash nomianism. It's, it's spelled just like it sounds. Nomianism comes from the Greek word nomos, N-O-M-O-S, law. It means anti-law. Verse 16 says you need to follow all these rules, you'll get saved. Verse 17 says, you know what? You actually don't need to follow any of those rules. Do whatever you want. And they're both wrong. Let's take a look at it. Verse 16, legalism. Verse 16, here's the person who is convinced that his own righteousness, of his own righteousness, and he is working hard to earn that righteousness. He falls into a works-based salvation. That if you will, here's a works-based salvation. That if you will do right, you will go to heaven. And if you do wrong, you will go to hell. And that right there is the very opposite of what the gospel teaches. That is not the gospel. The gospel reminds us of what verse 20 says. Come down to verse 20 right there in your Bible. Verse 20, the preacher says, There is not a righteous person on the earth who does right and never sins. There's not one. Not, not a righteous person. It's why we need the great exchange. Do you know the great exchange? That Jesus Christ lived perfectly in a way that you and I can't. He goes to the cross, and there on the cross... He takes the judgment of God. That's what the cross is for. The judgment of God falls on Jesus so that any sinner that believes in Jesus and what Christ has done on the cross is saved. But we're not only saved from our sins. He doesn't just take the punishment from our sins. The exchange is He takes our sin and gives us His righteousness. Why? Because our righteousness is filthy rags. It's why we need the great exchange. Christ gives us His righteousness at the cross, and we trust Him that we are saved not by what we do, but, but by what Christ has done. So we, we run away from legalism. We run to grace. We trust that it's grace that saves us. So that's, that's one side. People sometimes, even in Christianity, fall off on the ditch in legalism. 
That's a terrible place to be. You need to run away from that. Come back to the middle here where grace is. There's a danger on the other side as well. It's over there in verse 17. That's where you'll find antinomianism. That's where you'll find anti-law. You read verse 17. Here's the person who says, you know what? <clears throat> since it's a religion of grace, and since God's grace covers since God's grace covers me and forgives me, I don't necessarily have to be careful how I live. I don't need to live by what the law of God says. By the way, when we went through Romans, Romans chapter 6, that's where Paul argues and he says, should, should, should I sin that grace would abound? And the answer is, of course not. This person in verse 17 would be comfortable with the idea of, of Jesus being Savior, but not necessarily being Lord. And, and that is not Christianity. That's a delusion. The Bible teaches that Jesus is Lord. And, and both of these positions, verse 16 and 17, both of them fall off the edge and they miss grace altogether. And then verse 18 comes in with this beautiful cleanup. Verse 18 reminds us, that grace actually begins with the fear of God. You see what the preacher says? The one who fears God will come out from both of them. Fear. Why should you fear God? Because you are a degenerate sinner apart from God. God is holy and wonderful. You don't deserve to be on any, you don't deserve to draw the, the air that you're drawing right now. And yet, what's happened? God in love has sent us Jesus. And instead of sinners having to go to hell, sinners can be close to God through what Jesus has done on the cross. Jesus lived perfectly, died on the cross in the place of sinners, and the promise of the Bible is that any sinner that believes that, that repents of sin and believes that, will be saved. And my prayer for you any of you here, any of you watching, that are outside of the covenant of God and outside of being a child of God, that you would turn and believe. You can do that even now. Just believe what Jesus has done. Give your life to God through faith in Jesus. That you'll come to Jesus and your life will be safe in the hands of God. For most of us here are already believers, or Christians, and we thank God for that. We need to, need to thank Him even more for that. I want this today just to be a reminder to you, as you go off into work or whatever you go into on Monday, that your life is safe in the hands of God. Join me now as we close together in a word of prayer. Your heads bowed this morning as we go to the Lord in a moment of prayer. I want to invite any of you here that you're unsure about your walk with the Lord, you don't know if you're a Christian or not, <clears throat> you've heard the gospel and you want to believe that. We're going to go on with the service here in a little bit, we're going to sing, but afterwards when we're all dismissed, you'll see our pastors standing around. I want that to be a time where you can come and talk to one of us about what it means to actually give your life to Christ. Or, or if you're watching online, you want to talk further about what it means to pray and receive Christ, we'd like to talk to you about you becoming a believer. You as a Christian, I'm asking you to not doubt the trust 
to have confidence that your God is going to walk you through. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace we have in Jesus. I pray now that you would call people to yourself, that you would comfort those that hurt, that you will find us faithful. Help us to trust that our lives are safe in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.